If you have a Bible, you can open up to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 is where we'll be today as, as we finish our way through this little letter that we've been walking through this month. And uh, this is the, the last Sunday in June, so we'll be finishing out Titus this morning. Uh, so as you're turning there, a quick review of where we've been as we've been looking through Titus. The theme of this letter that we've been talking about is living the goodness of God. Living the goodness of God. At the beginning of the letter, we learned that Titus is ministering on the island of Crete, which is a largely pagan place with a dark mythological history and a continuing shady reputation. Crete was known for lying, deception, selfishness, violence. It, it, it was not an easy place to be, uh, much less minister, right, and try to share the good news. So Paul has written this letter giving guidance to Titus. How does one minister in the midst of evil? Right? And what we have seen is that instead of telling Titus to preach angry sermons or, or shouts uh, with signs on a street corner somewhere, he tells him to minister in the midst of a culture of evil by creating a culture of goodness. Evil is overcome with goodness. The good news is declared by goodness. That's what Paul writes about over and over again throughout this letter. So <clears throat> the letter jumps right in and gets very practical. In chapter 1, we saw that uh, creating a culture of goodness begins by appointing leaders with good character because character creates culture. And so these leaders with good character, uh, goodness will flow from them and create this place and this culture of goodness. Then in chapter 2, Paul shifts from the leaders of the community to the people of the community, and he addresses a number of different populations that are all part of the church in Crete. Uh, and we see that the church in Crete is made up of, of men and women, young and old, slave and free. It is a diverse population where all of these different people come together as one. And every one of them is called to live good lives into the wider community right where they are. Right where they are, goodness can flow out and through them. And by living in this goodness, their lives point to the good story of a good God. And so all of that brings us to chapter 3, where we are today. Verse 1 picks up right where Paul left off by summarizing what the people are called to, what goodness looks like in everyday life. And then, as we will see, things take a turn, as Paul continues. And that turn shifts us from thinking too much about the goodness that we have been called to and points us toward God, who is the true source of all goodness. So let's read Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Remind the people 
to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of pastures and passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because they are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time, and after that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. And we thank you that you are a good God who has redeemed and restored us. Lord, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story about a father and a son. The son uh, decides that he wants to go ahead and take uh, the things that he can from his father and run off to do life on his own. 
right? This familiar story, if you've been around church at all, we often call it the story of the prodigal son. This story speaks to us today because we are often like that son who want to take the things of God and run off and do with them what we want to ourselves. You see, one of the potential pitfalls of emphasizing goodness, as Paul has throughout this letter to Titus, is that we humans are very likely to grab hold of goodness and forget about God. We're very likely to try to grab hold of good, what we consider to be good, and forget about God run off and try to do good and be good on our own. G.K. Chesterton, a great writer, writing at the beginning of the 20th century, said that the problem with the modern world is not that it is evil, but that in some ways it's far too good. He said that it is full of wild and wasted virtues. He said, when religion is shattered, uh, when, when people become disconnected from God, it is not merely the vices that are let loose, right? We're familiar with this. You, know, you get disconnected from God, you go crazy, right? You do all kinds of wild things. Vices take hold of your life. But he says it's not merely the vices that are let loose into the world. The vices are indeed let loose and they wander and do damage. But the virtues are let loose also. And the virtues wander more wildly. And the virtues do more terrible damage. He concludes by saying, the modern world is full of the old Christian virtues gone mad. You see, virtue apart from God can do great harm. And the world is full of the old Christian virtues gone mad. This critique of the modern world is just as true, if not more true, today as it was over a hundred years when he first wrote this. You see, there's a kind of secular goodness that does good things, but really only for self-gain. It does good things, but only for profit, right? An act of kindness posted to Instagram might go viral and get you a lot more followers, right? Uh, publicizing good works might earn an organization more donors. On the surface, it's goodness that's being put out there, but underneath there's really a kind of manipulation at work. This is goodness gone mad. There's another version of this uh, that uh, is relegated to religion. We, instead of calling it secular goodness, we might call it religious goodness. And it's really no different, except that instead of trying to earn money and followers on social media, it's goodness that's trying to earn God's love and affection and the favor of other religious people. But it is no less manipulative because this kind of religious goodness attempts to manipulate God. Let's make God act the way we want him to act toward us. And it's a way of manipulating other people to get them to get in line and act the way we think they should. 
Really, it's another kind of goodness gone mad. And see, Paul anticipates this. And in this final chapter, he tries to get ahead of it by pointing directly to the heart and the action of God. Who God is and what God has done. So this is what I want to dwell on together this morning. See, all of these instructions and exhortations to goodness, if pursued apart from God, will become a kind of graceless goodness. Graceless goodness. It's a kind of goodness that's essentially about being good, doing good, following rules, checking boxes, because if you don't, God will be angry, will hate you, will destroy you, ultimately. In this graceless goodness, our pursuit of good is ultimately about placating God, and all of life becomes a sort of walking on spiritual eggshells, right? To make sure I don't step too hard or crack something, because that's going to be bad news. This graceless goodness creates a graceless culture in which religious people need to be sure that they're good enough, sure that they measure up. Have any of you experienced a culture like this before? Have you seen this in action in a community before? Far too many churches look exactly like this. A place of graceless goodness, right? There's all kinds of good that you need to do, but there is no grace. No grace at all. The logic of this graceless goodness works like this. If we are good, then God will be good. And if we are bad, watch out, right? That's the logic of this graceless goodness. This is the essence of it. And it's precisely the opposite of God's goodness that Paul describes here in Titus chapter 3. So verse 3 picks up, and he says, Well, at one time, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So some of the time we were intentionally disobedient, right? Doing wrong that we knew we shouldn't be doing. Other times we were deceived and enslaved, Right? We were doing wrong that we didn't know was wrong. We didn't know any better. Uh, or we were doing wrong that we felt powerless to get out of and stop. And in the midst of this, our relationships with each other have become damaged and damaging. We become suspicious of one another, bitter towards each other. And so we've given and received hate instead of love. Malice instead of service. Envy instead of encouragement. We're all familiar with this, right? 
I mean, every one of us knows of times that we have hurt others and been hurt by others. Perhaps as recently as in the car on the way here this morning, right? We know the frustrating, painful reality that Paul is describing here. And we know that we're complicit in that frustrating and painful reality. Because we've contributed to the frustration and to the pain. So in a graceless culture of graceless goodness, after such a rousing description of our complicity in evil, we might expect something like this. When the wrath and the anger of our God appears, he will destroy us because of the evil things we have done through the fire of his judgment that leads to eternal death. That's what we would expect to hear. Does that sound about right? Maybe you've heard that before. But here's what Paul says instead. After his honest description of evil, he writes in verse 4, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So instead of anger and wrath, we see kindness and love. Instead of destruction, we see salvation. Instead of the fire of judgment, we see the water of new birth. Instead of eternal death, we have the hope of eternal life. This is the goodness of God. This is the goodness of God. See, graceless goodness says, as long as we are good, then God will be good. But when we're bad, look out. But the logic of God's goodness runs like this. When we were bad, God was good. And not only that, when we were bad, God was good to us. When we were bad, God was good to us. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to invite some participation. Um, as we've done dwelling in the Word, I'm going to put this, this uh, passage, this description of God's goodness up on the screen. And I'd love to invite you just for a couple of minutes to turn to a person or two near you and share what words from this stand out to you?
What, what, is there something surprising, unexpected? Uh, what do you see in this? So take a moment to look back through this and then share with one another. And we'll come back together in just a couple minutes and hear some of the responses. So take a moment. All right. So I'd love to just invite uh, you to share. What are some of the things that, that you heard as you shared with one another? What are some of the things that stood out to you from this description of God's goodness? Got a couple people over here. We have the... Hello. There we go. For me, it was that word mercy. I was just sharing with a few people here, and Dave hit on it as well. Uh, the prior line, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of God's mercy. This is a distinction that I didn't do all these great things, or I'm not capable of doing all these great things that earned it. Um, mm -hmm. Instead, it's the kind mercy again. Yeah, mercy. Gonna... So yeah, that was what I was going to say, what Bill said. Not because of the righteous things we had done. Awesome. Thank you. Anyone else? What, what stands out to you from this passage? Got a couple people back here. Um, we shared that, that uh, he saves us every day. That's what my friend here says. And mm -hmm. um, that, you know, every day through our trials and struggles, it's, he's saving us every day. And I also agree with um, Bill that because of his mercy, not from the things we do or don't do, but because of his mercy, you know, I'm thankful of his all-consuming mercy. Love that. Thank you. Saw a hand back here as well. Yeah, we talked about uh, that we are that we that of God's mercy and that we are heirs. That we, you know, we don't just throw our family away or we don't just uh, um, quit trying to be um, with our family and, and loving them. And God has made us heirs. He has, despite what we try to do, we so many times we try to end this relationship, but God is still there. Mm -hmm. He's still coming after us, you know. Mm -hmm. um, we are his heirs. Ah, thank you. Anyone else? Yeah, there you go. Andrea and I talked about the word renewal and about how the renewal of God is so much larger and more encompassing than like the human concept of renewal, mm -hmm. about taking that first step, even if you have to take it over and over and over again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else have something that they heard and reflecting? All right. Oh, one more. All right. There you go. Um, so I wanted to touch on what Marsha said. Marsha was talking about, like, you know, where it talks about to avoid foolish con uh, controversies that a lot of times you hear as a parent, like, pick your battles with your kids. And that she mentioned, you know, a lot of it causes you to think about you pick your battles to whether it's in church or with adults. Too. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys for sharing and, and reflecting. Um, I'll, I'll share a few of my own 
observations and some of the things that, that stood out to me in particular. Uh, this description of God and God's goodness communicates so much. Uh, you'll notice as we read it, um, you know, the verse right after this section, he says, this is a trustworthy saying, right? Uh, pay attention to these words. This is a trustworthy saying. And so what is being said here? Uh, as, as I look through this, I see a few things. Uh, I, I see uh, a description of who God is, of what God has done, of why God has done it, and of how or the way in which God does it. Uh, these are some of the things that I see. Who uh, God is, what he's done, why he did it, and how. Uh, the way in which he does it. So those things. The first one here is, is well, who God is. It begins by saying the kindness and love of God, our Savior. There are some translations that, that translate these words. It says the goodness and the loving kindness of God appeared. Right? And so it's the goodness of God that has appeared. He is a good God. He is kind. This is who he is. This is what he's like. He is good. He is kind. He is loving. That loving kindness is a word that, that is often used to describe God's deep, abiding, stubbornly persistent love. Uh, a love that, that is, is stronger than anything else. A God deeply in love with his people. The prophets speak of God's loving kindness, his steadfast love. And, and God, yes, does become angry. He does become frustrated with his people. But time and time again, he says, oh, but how could I give you up? How could I turn you away? You're like a child to me. I love you. This is who God is. He is a God who does not give up and turn away his children, but he welcomes and draws them near to him. This is who God is. He is kind and loving. He is good. And so what has he done? Well, he has saved us. He saved us. This whole thing in the Greek is one long sentence. Uh, you know, the NIV has kind of broken it up for us to make it a little more readable, uh, but it's all one long sentence. And right at the heart of it, the primary action verb is he has saved us. And in Greek, it's just one word. He has saved us. That's the primary action verb on which everything else in this statement falls. When did he save us? Well, it's when his kindness and love appeared. You know, how, whom, you know, on and on. But he has saved us is the primary action that's described here. And that tells us a lot. It tells us that God has saved us. And that's what God does for his children. He saves. He saves us. And why does he save us? Because of who he is. Loving, kind. Why does he save us? It's not because of the righteous things that we have done, as you pointed out. 
It's not because of what we have done. If we walk away from the book of Titus with the primary message, I need to do better and be good because, well, he told us to do good and be eager to do good and on and on, we've missed the point. The point is that God is good. And because God is good, he has saved us. And because we've been saved, we become good, like our good God. That's the whole point. Not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. God is merciful. We often have this picture of God as primarily angry, as primarily judgmental as primarily out to get us, right? Just wait to mess up and then boom, God gotcha, right? Like, like we're flies and he's got the swatter. That's not who God is. It's because of his mercy. Mercy comes naturally to God. There are a number of uh, theologians, particularly in the, the age of the Puritans, which typically we think of Puritans as being pretty uh, intense and, you know, you got to do this and not do that. But there are some of them who were very uh, deeply steeped in, in God's love and his affection. And one of the things that, that comes from that era in some of their theology is that God, his mercy and his love are natural for him. And that, yes, there are times that God becomes angry and God disciplines his people, but that is unnatural for God. His natural tendency is to love and forgive. His natural tendency is to love and forgive. We see this at work throughout Scripture where it says things like, they provoked him to anger. God's anger has to be provoked. No one has ever had to provoke God for love. No one has ever had to provoke God for mercy. Those are the things that flow naturally from him. It is not our righteous works and deeds that provoke God's mercy, not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of God's mercy. He has saved us. And how has he saved us? In what way? As he saved us. He saved us, it says, through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Right? God washes us. He cleanses us. In our tradition, it's, it's often uh, the message that has been communicated is that you need to go get washed, you know, in the baptistry, and then God will love you and care for you and, and you're his. But that's not what Paul says. God is the one who does the washing. God is the one who does the cleansing. And yes, we have this beautiful picture of baptism to respond to him by. Right? To enter those waters uh, in not only a spiritual way, but a physical way. To respond with our bodies. He is the one who washes and gives us new life through the Holy Spirit, who he poured out on us 
generously. God's not stingy with salvation. He's not stingy with his goodness. He's generous with his spirit. He's generous with his goodness. God is generous with his washing. This is how God has saved us. Generously. God was excited to do it. He didn't reluctantly go, oh man, I gotta deal with this. He generously poured out his spirit and offers his salvation to us. So who is God? What has he done? Why and how? Ah, oh, he is a good God who has saved us because of who he is. And he does this generously, lavishly. This is what we see of God's goodness. I was recently talking with a a good friend of mine. Uh, We have been friends throughout most of our lives, uh, went to high school together and college and were in each other's weddings and so on. He has three little daughters. Um, and they're so sweet, and I'm constantly seeing pictures of them uh, on social media and, and all of that. Uh, he recently told me a story when we were talking uh, about an encounter he had with, with his youngest daughter. Uh, you know, he had put all of his, uh, they'd all, you know, gone to bed and, and were asleep, and so, you know, he's kind of up late, kind of finally getting to relax a little bit and, and so on. I think he was watching something on TV or whatever. And, and then he, he kind of, uh, it was like 11 o'clock, pretty late, uh, for, close time for him to go to sleep. And, and he heard this sound coming from their, the, the bedroom. Uh, and he's kind of like, what? what's that? What's going on there? And so he, he wanders in and, and kind of opens the door and, and they, they share a room so he doesn't turn the light on. It's still dark so the others can still be sleeping. Uh, but, you know, he finds his youngest daughter kind of on the floor, scraping around on and on. And he's like, hey, what's, what's the matter? And, and she's, she's up and, and he kind of feels the bed and he feels that it's, it's wet. And he goes, oh, she's wet the bed. All right. That's fine. Um, and then, upon closer inspection, he learns that she's not wet the bed. Uh, it, it's it's a, a different kind of liquid uh, that has come out. Uh, she has had diarrhea. And not only that, it's also come out the other end. Uh, she, is, she is thrown up, right? It is a full-on mess. Uh, and she is on the ground, she's covered in it, her bed and her sheets are covered in it, and she's kind of just, you know, scraping all these things up uh, and, and, and gathering it up and stuff, and he just goes, hey, hey, it's okay, and, you know, he, he scoops her up, brings her to the bathroom, washes her off, gives her a bath, and afterwards, you know, wraps her up in a nice warm towel and holds her for a little while. And he asked her, why didn't you come and get mommy and daddy when that happened? And I think she's four years old. She, she said, well, I didn't want anyone to be mad at me about the mess. And when she said that, his heart broke. Where did you learn that? Where did you learn to be afraid about this mess? 
Why didn't you just call mommy and daddy? Well, I didn't want anyone to be mad about this mess. And so he just held her there and he said, we love you so much. And got her bed remade and put her back to sleep. This is the picture we have of God. He has saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by his Holy Spirit, who he's poured out on us generously. And yet, how often in the midst of our messes do we try to clean things up ourselves and not call out to our daddy? And where did we learn that? Where did we learn to be afraid of this mess instead of trusting the goodness and love of our Father in heaven? You see, a lot of times we're like that prodigal son who Jesus told the story about. We take the things of God and we run off and do whatever we want with them. And we respond just like that prodigal son did who finally decided to come back. He was sitting in the midst of his own mess. and He finally decides to come back to his father. He says, well, there's no way, I've blown it. There's no way I can be his son anymore. But maybe at least I can like work for him or something. And when he comes back, his father has not forgotten him. He doesn't have to go knock on the door. His father's waiting for him. With open arms. And doesn't even wait for him to get to the house, but runs out to him and embraces him and throws a party. Welcome home, my beloved son, my beloved child. We need to learn about who God is from the stories that Jesus tells. We need to learn about who God is from these passages that tell us of his kindness and his love. He is eager to wash and cleanse and renew. Will we come to him to be washed clean? Will we turn toward and trust in his goodness? That's the question that we have. And so... uh, Like we did last week, I just want to very simply invite a response. Where do you find yourself this morning? What is stirring in you this morning? Perhaps you're very aware of the the circumstances that Paul has described where we're filled with with all kinds of passions and pleasures and deceived and enslaved and, and hating one another and being hated. Maybe your life looks a little like that, either because of things done to you or the things that you find coming out of you. 
And maybe you need to turn to God's grace and goodness to be cleansed. Maybe you're trying to to hold it all together and be good and do good so that you can measure up. And if that's you, maybe the invitation is to trust, not in your own righteousness, but in God's goodness. Perhaps there's something else that God is stirring in you this morning. I'm not going to ask anyone to share anything or say anything or come up, but the invitation is simply this. If you feel like God is moving in your heart this morning, will you raise your hand? And so I'd love for myself and then others around, if you'd like to extend your hands toward those who are responding, let's offer prayer for what God is doing. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. And those who have raised their hands this morning, we lift up before you. I pray that your goodness would meet them right where they are. If they've resisted your cleansing, Lord, would you wash over them? If they have had false pictures of who you are, would you show yourself anew? Lord, we thank you for the way that you're moving in hearts. And we ask for more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.